people have been found engaging in this kind of lazy approach to engage with online content. I am not sure if digital media has caused, this is a matter of casualty, so I have to be a little bit careful about this. I don't have evidence to support that, but what I can share is what I just mentioned, that research has found a people engaging in some kind of uh, or cognitive laziness with social media. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder. And I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hey, Tiffany. Hey, I just want to share a bit of wisdom with you. Um, this, this comes from the Howard Stern Show. They were talking about podcasts, and the question was, what's the difference between a podcast and a talk show? Mm. The answer is, people get paid to do talk shows. Oh, you're not getting paid? How funny. You are? Yeah. Oh, I am. <laughs> I think we have to do some talking after this. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I'll do this one for free. Last one. Okay. <laughs> Today, we are so excited to welcome to the show, Luis Fernando Santos Menezes. Luis Fernando Santos Menezes is based in China and works as a postdoctoral fellow at the Center for Sociology of Higher Education at HSE University in Moscow in an online modality. His research is focused on new directions in critical thinking instruction, including an exploration of the epistemological, ethical, and civic dimensions of critical thinking and its application in online learning environments. Luis is a seasoned researcher, university educator, and humanitarian aide, having formerly worked for local and international NGOs and governmental agencies, including World Vision, Plan International Incorporated, and the Peace Corps. He received a doctorate of curriculum and teaching methodology from Neijing Normal University in China and a master's of education and social development from UTE in Ecuador. Please join us in welcoming to the Digital to Learn podcast, Luis Fernando Santos Menezes. Welcome, Luis. Thank you, Tiffany. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me. Glad you're yeah. here. Yeah, Luis is joining us from China. This is, I believe, our first guest joining us from there. So we're excited to be able to draw from all over the world. And the timing has to be just right, doesn't it? So that you're not asleep and we're not asleep and we can record. It's really exciting that we found time to do this. So I'm, I'm happy that everyone will get to hear from you. We actually learned about Luis's work from an article that we read on critical thinking. And we'll talk a little bit more about that article in a little bit. But this is just someone who is so invested in research and in teaching and even in humanitarian work, um, we have a lot to cover today. So thank you for being here. Before we dive into that, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So the first kind of get to know you question that we have is we want to go back in time and we're visualizing Luis as a seven-year-old. What does seven-year-old Luis predict that his career may be? Well, actually, by that time, I didn't have uh, that much influence for the role that I am 
performing nowadays because I lived in a very small town and also we were not experiencing this uh, globalization phenomenon that we now are living. So uh, the things that influenced me were those that helped me project my life in the future. And those things were very like local, very simple things. For example, like being a soccer player and maybe a politician or those things that were close to my reality by that time. So now I am performing something very different from, yeah, definitely. Do you still play soccer? Yeah, sure. I still play. <laughs> so when you think back over your career, who would you say is the most influential person on that journey? Well, I would like to refer to my academic career, actually, even though I didn't start from an early age uh, because I've been a kind of uh, developing two different careers, one in the humanitarian aid programs and social projects and this stuff, and the other in the academia. So when it comes to the academic career, I would say that the person that influenced uh, more in my life was actually my doctor, doctoral supervisor, because he somehow helped me develop myself learning uh, these positions because I recognize that this is a part of me that is strong and I need to develop that kind of stuff. And it's not always easy to find or to be in an atmosphere or a context where, when you are free to conduct like a independent research or to conduct yourself independently. So my supervisor was the one who helped me to develop in this sense. At what point did you become such an active global citizen, traveling around the world, being ah. in China, for example? Well, actually, before coming to China, I worked for some international organizations, and somehow I had interacted with people from around the world. I worked for the Peace Corps, for example, and I met people from different parts of the U.S., and some of them were, had like a double nationality. They were like Japanese Americans or Chinese Americans. So I had this interaction before coming to China. And even when I started learning English, I had the chance to be in touch with some people from around the world. So I have like friends from different parts of the world from a long time ago. So <laughs> then my opportunity to leave my country for more years was when I started my doctoral program in China, like seven years ago. You mentioned earlier dispositions, and I think it takes a certain kind of mindset for someone to take the risk of moving to a completely different culture to live. Mm -hmm. actually, that is a very unique mindset. Yeah, actually, ones need to have uh, dispositions for this kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure, definitely. So what do you do for fun? And now I'm wondering, does it matter where you live in terms of what you do for fun? Does that change or is it consistent, you know, like soccer through and through? Yeah, actually, I love playing soccer. But here in China, the opportunities to, to play football are not that as in, in other countries. 
but uh, also I play the guitar and for many years, not as a professional, but I know how to play the guitar and I love practicing and spending hours practicing. But recently I've been trying to learn how to play the ukulele actually. So huh. I have two reading lists, like one reading list is for job and the other is just for fun. No? So I also have this reading list for fun. Yeah. Very good. There is some editing pieces and we do add a little bit of transitional music. And so what we should do is record a little bit of ukulele to be the transition piece right here on this on the show. So let's get serious here. What do you say? <laughs> You've been involved in cross-disciplinary research projects for about 12 years, focusing on critical thinking. How would you define critical thinking in research and education? Well, critical thinking is a multifaceted or concept. It does not involve only skills or higher order thinking skills, which is a part of the prevalent conception of critical thinking, but it encloses these positions and also an ethical and civic dimension, to say some. And yeah, critical thinking is closely related to notions such as trustworthiness, objectivity, accuracy, but also it entails, uh, as I mentioned before, ethical aspects like and dimensions like intellectual uh, humility, intellectual honesty, and fair-mindedness. And I would like to refer or to cite some of the concepts that I like about critical thinking, which is from Paul Elder, Paul, Richard Pauls and, and Linda Elder. They say that critical thinking is the act of thinking about thinking while thinking to make thinking better. Mm. <laughs> it involves three aspects, which are the analysis of thinking, the evaluation of thinking, and the synthesis of thinking. And somehow in this conception, we can see like a metacognitive aspect of critical thinking, which is concerned with understanding one's own thinking. Mm. I think one of the things that drew us to your research in this area was the ethical piece of critical thinking, which we'll talk about a little bit more, especially in light of just being online and then what that looks like to engage in social media and digital tools. But for now, since you have been invested in this work for so long, can you just tell us how your understanding of critical thinking has changed since you first began investigating the subject and maybe how it's evolved? Yeah, sure. Actually, now I am more aware of the different facets of the concept because before I was just aware of the dominant aspects of the concept. But now I understand that critical thinking has to do with, as I mentioned before, ethical and civic dimensions and also dispositions. And also I have realized that thinking is pervasive in all activities of our lives. It has applications not only in academic matters, but in personal matters. So in this sense, critical thinking has been the conception, the concept itself has been not only circumscribed to my research work, but even my personal life. Yeah. And I want to add that it includes the way I navigate into the online or digital ecosystem. Can you tell us a little bit more about how it does intersect with online education? So where is the biggest alignment for you between critical thinking and online education? 
patients? Well, the intersection of critical thinking and online education, in my understanding, has mm-hmm. to do with evaluation and synthesis skills. Evaluation and synthesis skills are two of the most important facets of critical thinking. And those two facets are relevant to, for example, evaluating online content. So I see the intersection in this way uh, when it comes to evaluating content and also synthesizing content for in the um, digital environment. Not just a matter of evaluation things because it somehow entails passive aspect, but it has to do with creating mindful content or evidence-based content. So this is how I see the intersection of critical thinking and online education. Do you think in some ways our reliance on the digital world has made us somewhat lazy in terms of our critical thinking skills? Well, I'm not sure if I haven't reflected before in that question, but what I can say about cognitive laziness is that sometimes, according to prior research, it takes place in some media users in the sense that, for example, when we see interactions or comments or judgments on the web or on social media, sometimes people judge about that digital content, but only based on the, on the headlines. And some people do not engage in actually in close reading or in lateral reading. So in that sense, prior research, I, I would like to refer here to Mark Grew. I don't know if I am pronouncing well the name, but it's one of the authors that writes about uh, civic online reasoning. And she mentions these findings that uh, people have been found engaging in this kind of lazy approach to engage with online content. I am not sure if digital media has caused, this is a matter of casualty. So I have to be a little bit careful about this. I don't have evidence to support that, but what I can share is what I just mentioned, that research has found uh, people engaging in some kind of, uh, or cognitive laziness in social media. So what might a faculty member do to promote critical thinking on the part of their students? Uh, Well, there are a lot of approaches based on research. And I would like to refer again from McGrew with other colleagues. She investigated about uh, civic online reasoning. And this is an approach in order to infuse critical thinking into digital media. Uh, And they have their own methodology. And I found quite interesting this impractical, this, this approach, because as they use authentic instruction, they use authentic material to make students aware about uh, the different traps or pitfalls that can be found in the online environment, which actually are quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Interesting. We're going to stop right here, and we'll be back next week for part two with Luis please take this opportunity to visit our website, digitaltolearn.com, digital to learn with a numerical two. And when you get to the site, be sure to see the resources and links that we've provided for today's episode, as well as our episode next week. If you're enjoying our podcast, please also take this opportunity to share it with others, 
and to like the podcast on your favorite podcast provider. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.